Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Hello and welcome to round 25 of TKO on Joe together with 32 Red. If you're listening on the audio, we're a podcast you can download and on YouTube with you every single Thursday. Now this week, Carl, as you know, has landed in Philadelphia ahead of his fight on August the 10th. And in the meanwhile, I've got super sub. Okay, former Southern area, British, two-time European, two-time yeah. Commonwealth. Yep. And world middleweight champion, yep. Darren Barker. I sort of forget all that you've achieved because when we work together, you're just Darren and you've been yeah. retired, what, five years? I'm just a Wally, isn't I? You're just a nice <laughs> man. A just a very oh, nice thank man. thank you, mate. But what's nice, I mean, we work, for those people who maybe watch the match and build-up shows yep. on, on Sky, we work together sometimes five, six live shows every month for, yeah. for Matchroom. But the one thing we've never done is sit down and just hash out, like, the finer details of your career and go over some never. Of your memories. We've never done it on ours, have we? Ever. No. Because well, we're always previewing the fights, aren't we? So it's quite nice to be able to sort of yeah. get stuck in and ask you a few uh, a few questions about the past. Excuse the attire, by the way. I've just been down the gym, so I've got a pair of sliders on. No, to be so, honest, what like, is it they almost it? look like pyjama shorts. Yeah, but it's and all a right. T-shirt. I just thought, I think you know with what? the weather today, was it 36 today? Something like it's that, mental, yeah. mental weather. So, yeah. I had to change a T-shirt just for the journey up here. Sweaty. Yeah, horrible. So... No, you're forgiven, mate. Um, I think we should start just by talking about Saturday night because obviously you, yeah. you, it was the first time you've been in a corner for a fighter. You formed a great bond with, with Dave Allen and you know he was looking so good in the gym and you've seen what he can do, but he obviously just wasn't able to put that into action on Saturday night. Firstly, how is he doing? And, and just talk me through the, the experience of Saturday. Do you know what? He, he's okay. He's, his pride's been dented. Anyone who's lost the fight will know mm. how you feel. And he, yeah, he's just gutted. And I'm gutted for, for him as well because I know how good he is. I know how much hard work he's put in. But he didn't get the opportunity to to show that on Saturday. He just, you know, look, the heavyweight division is the only division in boxing where you can find someone who's nine kilograms heavier than mm. you or any weight. There's no limit. And Dave got, Dave got beat by the better man, no doubt. David Price rolled back the years there and he boxed brilliantly. But he was just outsized as mm. well. We knew that in the build-up. We knew it was going to be difficult to get to David Price, but I was very impressed with how how fit David was and how he managed to brush aside all those comments about him falling to pieces after five rounds. He was in there. And don't get me wrong, Dave didn't really stamp his authority in any way whatsoever. I didn't really force the pace like I wanted him to do. But David Price still looked fresh as a daisy going into mm. the 10th round. And what I've been seeing in the gym with Dave... Put the conditioning aside, he's fit as a fiddle. But he he's a very good boxer. You know, watch him on the bag, on the pads, shadow boxing, he's, he can move, he can go through the gears, he's quick, he can punch, but he just didn't show any of that on Saturday. And, you know, it worries me a little bit because there is such thing in boxing as someone who is called a gym fighter. Someone who looks, like I say, a million dollars in the gym. But when that bell goes and they're under them lights, for whatever reason, it don't happen. But again, I, I can't say that he's a gym fighter because mm. David Price decides and the how well we box. So it's very difficult. There's a lot of things to think about or to put into the equation. But yeah, I'm just gutted for Dave. Like I, he's one of my good mates through through this whole process of training him. I've got very close to him. He's very funny, as you well know. Mm. Spending time with him on these shows we do brings a great energy to fight. Yeah, with him. and do you know what? He's just a, he's a good man. He's a good lad. Mm. His banter sometimes a little bit crosses the line but he's he's a good bloke but I, I'm over the moon that he's healthy he's okay he's not permanently damaged from it Just talk there was an hour where yeah. I was I was very worried mate so just talk me through what happened so he was he was stretched out it was it, what worried me was 
when he was sat down after the bell, so the, the I called the fight off, he sat down and he was going, whoa, whoa, like his head was spinning and he had a headache and he could see five of everybody received oxygen. And what it was worrying is his eyes started sagging and he sort of, like, he didn't at any point lose consciousness, but it looked as if he was about to go a couple of times. Then we stood, we tried to stand him up and his legs totally gave way. And, I, I, you know, it was more exhaustion, I think, than the shots, I think. But at that point, we, the ambulance were on its way, the stretcher was on its way, so we laid him down, we got him the stretcher. But then there was another thing that happened, his arm fell off and he struggled to get his arm back up and I was really worried. So they wheeled him off. When we got to near where the ambulance was, there was a doorway. So I don't know who it was, but someone said, I don't think it was anyone who was going in the ambulance. I think it was someone part of the matchroom security team. Is there any blood relation here? Sister put a hand up, right, off you go. So they went through a door and we had no idea. Found out what hospital was, drove there, and there was about an hour of uncertainty where we didn't know how he was, what was going on. And I was asked to go in by the doctor. I was in a panic with a little Danny Morell. Mm. And uh, we walked in and Dave was there with a brace around his neck. And he just looked at us and smiled. And I, it was just... Such a, a relief. Such a relief. And, you know, it was just a huge... It just put everything in perspective. You know, I'm... I was saying to you the other day on the phone when I... I've had this sort of realisation. And it made me realise that it's only a sport. And then they lost some gut for him. But I was just so happy that he was healthy. Mm. You know, he was there. He was still with us. And we've seen the shock news. With Maxim Dallashev. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it just shows you... This sport is unforgiving. We were saying as well yesterday, weren't we, that when you have a chin as good as Dave's or you've got a heart as big as Tommy Coyle's, yeah. you can sometimes mix it with guys that you maybe shouldn't be mixing yeah. it with for a little bit longer than perhaps you would if you, say, didn't have a steel set mm. of balls or a good chin. The problem with that is in terms of your longevity and your health in later life, that those are the extra rounds where, where things can, can happen and the damage can be done. And, and I say, yeah, you're absolutely right. Given what happened to you Saturday night, given the news yesterday... You know, it's another reminder and we sort of, even though you've been in the game for so long, it's, those reminders sometimes pierce through the bubble, don't they? Make yeah. you go, life's too short. So I can remember ringing you actually about two months ago for, for a laugh. I said, if Golovkin rang you up now, and he was like, Darren, I give you a million pounds yeah. for two weeks sparring. But you actually like, you actually went quite serious on me and you said, no, do you know what? Sometimes I could just look at myself and I think I don't want to take any more shots to the head. Yeah, or anything. I still pinch myself now, you know, what I put my body through was borderline madness. Well, it, was dangerous. it wasn't borderline. It was over. Yeah, it, it, was. it was dangerous. Yeah. It was dangerous. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm from an old school era, I guess. The last of it, probably. Mm. My old amateur club, Repton. And, you know, when I first joined Repton, and this is not... It was just the time. Yeah. You didn't drink in during sessions. You know, we, I think the tap might have been disconnected. You know, Tony just, turned the water we just, off. We just, yeah, Tony Burns, you know, like uh, <laughs> a legend of a man. Yeah, yeah. MBE. You know, you just weren't allowed to drink. It was crazy. And my my approach to losing weight was quite old school. I did it. I felt strong, but it was dangerous. You know, yeah. I'm losing like nine kilos in the end of my career to get down to the weight. And, yeah, I pinched myself thinking I'm so lucky that, one, I'm healthy and I'm strong. And, you know, though I've got yeah. granddad hips and, you know, I'm not the brightest spark out there. I'm still here. You know, I've got three beautiful children. I've got a lovely life. And, I, yeah, I pinch myself and I count my blessings because mm. it's a dangerous, dangerous sport. I would genuinely say, of all, and it's not just because I know you, but of all the fighters of the last 10 or 15 years in Britain that have retired, you've made the transition as well as anybody. And you look at Carl Froch made a very nice transition as well. 
do you think that transition would have been more difficult? Let's say Daniel Gill had got the nod in Atlantic City and you'd yeah. never quite achieved that world title. Would it have then been hard to have hung them up? Is yeah. it, did that give you closure? Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. a good question. You know, it is. Without a shadow of a doubt, it would have been very difficult. Knowing I was that close twice and not being able to fulfil my, my dream and my brother's dream that I'm sure we'll get onto, you know, we shared a dream of, you know, one of us winning a world title, or both winning world titles, mm. just being a world champion or or there being a world champion in the Barker household. And being that close would have been a tough pill to swallow. And also the way that the fight went was perfect. You know, it's a dramatic kind of story. And I kid you not, this is this is no rubbish. When I was a kid, like boxing, I'm obsessed with boxing. As a kid, I was obsessed with it. My dad was an ABA champion. I wanted to make him proud. I would, on my own, be in the kitchen. We had a small little semi-detached house. I would be in the kitchen. I'd even put my gloves on. And I would play out, as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, play out my ideal scenario of winning a world title, you know, or winning these titles. I would go through my career. I would go through, sorry, an amateur career, a professional career, winning different belts, you know, and playing out in the manner of victory. And the way I would win the world title was in a dramatic fashion. It was never like a a quick knockout yeah. win. It was always like, oh, I went down, I got up, I went down numerous times, he put him down. And... So, yeah, going back to the question, it, it makes retiring, I'm just, I'm complete, yeah. I'm, I'm at peace with boxing, I've, yeah. I've succeeded, you know, I've completed, I completed boxing. Yeah. If it was a computer game, I completed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, talk, take me back to Repton, take me back to you and your brother, when you first went into the gym, did you both go there at the same time? So what happened was I, my dad, like I say, was an ABA champion, boxed for Repton Boxing yeah. Club, but being from Barnet, the local boxing club was Finchie Amateur Boxing Club, which was uh, run by Spencer Oliver's dad and uncle and family, so Jimmy Oliver, John Oliver. Because my dad boxed, I don't think he ever wanted to push me into it. I would spar with my dad. My earliest memories of being on my two feet I sparring with my dad in the kitchen. Him on his knees, me, with, you know, with his hands up, and we're just—I'm just pummeling him. <laughs> They're my earliest memories. So, boxing was always in my life. My dad always spoke about. It. I remember almost always watching boxing as a kid. But I basically took myself to the gym. So I went down Finchley and just fell in love with it. You know, yeah. fell in love with everything. I think initially I did it for my dad, though he didn't really know that. But it was to make him proud. And yeah, went down to Finchley Amateur Boxing Club and. I went on for a while and then my brother started showing an interest in it. My brother was a real jock, good at everything, absolutely good, mm. good at everything, amazing at everything. And all we did all day long was play football and he could have been a real good footballer. <laughs> I kind of liked the limelight, if I'm honest, of me being the boxer. Yeah. And when my brother showed interest in it, I was a little bit like, ah, sticks of football. <laughs> I'm the boxer. I said, we have this You go play for Chelsea, yeah, I'll win more titles. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I'm deadly honest, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be the boxer. I, you know, I was the oldest, so I mm. wanted to sort of carry that flag. How many years are between you? About five years. Right. Nearly five years. So I'm the oldest. My brother, Lee, Gary, my sister, Daisy. So Lee was football, no interest in boxing whatsoever. Real, always smiling, my brother, Lee. No interest for the that combat side of sport, mm. where me and Gary were quite similar. So we all had different personalities, but me and Gary were quite fiery, quite competitive. Yeah, sort of shy, you know, pushing him away from boxing. But as soon as he come down the gym, it was it it was so obvious that he was naturally talented. 
at boxing, it was like ridiculous. I don't want people to think I go on about my brother or rave about him in this manner because what's happened. But I kid you not, and his resume. Says a lot of it. people say this yeah. as well. Yeah, you know, like what he achieved in his 19 years was was amazing. Mm. But from the off, you could see he was a real talent. Like he was bashing kids up down at uh, Finchley. But never had a fight there. So I got to a stage in my amateur career where I lost three on the spin. More due to maturity. I think I showed an element of talent, but nowhere near on the spectrum of my brother. So maturity done me. I was a very late maturer. So I used to get beat by very strong kids. I didn't tell anyone. I thought, right, I need to make a change now. I need to better my education. No disrespect to Finchley, but I'd sort of learned what I could there. And... Knowing my dad boxed at Repton, Repton probably being the f- most famous amateur boxing club in the country. Mm. Without a doubt, one of the most successful Olympians, gold medalists, obviously, all the Harrison, Commonwealth Games representatives and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I thought, right, I'm going to go down there. And um, at which point my brother hadn't even had a fight. He was still just sort of in the gym, sussing out, you know, dipping his toes in it. So I went down there and the rest was history. My brother went down there. Shortly after me, he still hasn't, you know, I don't know if it was the age thing or what, I can't really remember now, it's a bit a bit hazy. But when he was old enough, he went down there mm. and it was like the bond was, we were very close anyway. Me and my family are so close, I think mean, you know. But me and my brother just like bang, like that. Because in boxing, it's so lonely, it's so hard doing it on your own. Was You know, it's an individual sport. So if you've got any mates or any family members that can relate to it or could be there with you during these tough times. It was great. So me and my brother bounced off each other. We used to go down on the train from High Barnet to Bank, get on the central line, two stops, Bethel Green, yeah. walk. Probably it's about a brisk 15 minutes or a nice 20-minute walk. Yeah. Down Bethel Green Road, down Valance Road, Cheshire Street, bang. and um, you're, you're like a few minutes from your call, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember the first time going out to ask a few cab drivers because I didn't know where it was. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, we've just... Go back and forth, you know, most days. I was a uh, senior, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Gary was Tuesday and Thursday, but we'd just go pretty much every day. So we're Bethel Green every single day. Because Tony, Tony Burns said that he... Because there's so many boxers in that gym and mm. such a wealth of talent in the East End. That's what he always attributed his success to. He always said one of the main attributes the Repton has is the people in the area and the talent that's, that's kind of born in that area. Yeah. And so you had hundreds of lads going through those exactly. halls. And obviously you, you feel that history with all like the faded fight posters and the no have you, been, have you been down there? Loads of times, yeah. yeah. Right, so you know like the big, there's a, for those Spar- listening. there. Have you really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So scary. there's a big sort of uh, wall of fame, if you like. So there's everyone who's yeah. represented England. So you win an ABA title and, you know, if, Fingers crossed, or you know, if you've ever you catch the eye of the England selectors, you get to represent your country. So yeah. you're on the wall. There's a picture of you on the wall, and that was something me and my brother had a real passion to want to do is get on that wall because my dad, our dad was on there. He represented England, and he was on the wall. So like, we were desperate to get on there, and we both did. So it was mm-hmm. my dad, me, and Gary. But going back to the talent down there, like you're right, but Tony used to say, he goes, in this area of East London, you know, you either kicked a bo- football or you punched someone. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. Though we weren't from East London, we sort of, it become almost like a second home to us because, and, and that rubbed off on us. You know, you're in there with real street kids, hard kids. And I think one thing with Repton, though, it has an unorthodox way of coaching you in the sense that it is more of 
the quality fighters down, they rub off on you. Mm. So you're in the ring rubbing shoulders with national champions. So I used to get beat up every single week. Every week. So I'll get bashed up by Joe Bloggs. Then I start, as weeks go on, I start getting the better of him. I move up a level. Get battered. Battered, battered, battered for weeks and weeks and weeks. It might be a little bit more difficult to break through that level. Then I start getting on top, beating him up. Then the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. Before you knew it, I was the best in the club. And it was like, I couldn't believe it. You know, it's a dream come true. Wow. So at this point, obviously, there's no EIS in Sheffield. There's no, no sort no. of national lottery funded amateur system as such as it is now. Yeah. So how did you go? Because you never won the ABAs. No. So how did you go from kind of boxing on on the local circuits and then getting your England vest to then actually graduating to being picked for England in 2002. Right. So I won the NABC Class C title. So it's, I think ranges from 17 to 19, or something yeah. like that. It's sort of yeah, youth, yeah, yeah. youth age now. So that was my first national title. I won it at the London uh, Hilton Hotel Park Lane. Over the moon, could have retired there and then. You know, I was national champion, my age and weight. Good I job was, you didn't, mate. You know, I was buzzing. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, it was a dream come true. Mm. And part of that journey where I used to shadow box in the kitchen, mm. that was one step on that, that ladder. So, you know, I was on my way, but ultimately over the moon. So won that, that title. Then the following year, I entered the AVAs at 18 and I got all the way to semi-finals which were over a weekend in Liverpool, won the quarterfinals against um, a very good seasoned uh, fighter called Terry Fletcher, who was an England representative. I beat him. Then I got beat by a really experienced fighter called Tristan Davis, I think his name is. I lost on a countback. So he got the nod. So I was so close to getting to the final. The England selectors took a punt on me and gave me the opportunity to represent England in a real tough multi-nations tournament in Hungary but it was a tough one you know real tough one full of Eastern Europeans the qualifiers are always so grim for international competitions oh because of that you know we've got the toughest pool of fighters yeah so yeah I went to this multi-nations I remember no one could have sort of afford to go so I went on my own with the England team because everyone would go and watch me all my family would go well, all the lads anyway won the first fight I remember saying to my dad I'm fighting a Belarusian in the... Uh, no, a Hungarian in the first fight. Mess. An absolute mess on the phone. Rang him back. Hour later, Dad, I won a fight. I remember him screaming down the phone. Yes, get in. You won a fight for England. You represent the country. You won a fight. Wow, amazing. Next fight for... I can't remember who it was, if I'm deadly honest. Won that. And again, screaming, shouting. Then in the final, I had three fights. The final, I had a guy called Yuri Romanov who beat Bobby Van Zee, Scott Murray, or Steve Murray, sorry, in the pro. Real good fighter mm. for Belarus. Uh, was a big favourite to, to win it. And I beat him. And I remember ringing my dad, you know, I won the gold medal. You know, crazy, crazy. You know, my first international winning a gold medal. Three fights, three wins for England, gold medal. Ran my dad and no noise, nothing. And he just demands, damn, I'm so proud of you, mate. Oh. You know, like, and then I remember getting picked up by all the family limousines, you know, went to town. <laughs> they went to town, yeah. I had the worst hangover ever because <laughs> I, honestly, I was 18 years old and all the England other lads in the England team were buying me drinks. And I think it was like 60p a beer then. I didn't really drink, you know, I only started drinking when I was 18, yeah. but very, like, you know, little because I was obsessed with boxing. Yeah. I remember getting steaming and getting picked up. Uh, at the airport and they had a bottle of champagne. I think I was sick out the window at the sight of the bottle of champagne. <laughs> but then it was a toss-up between the Commonwealth Games 2002 were upon us. Mm-hmm. Lenny Dawes, 
had just won the ABA title and represented England a few times I was before. About him, yeah. Yeah, so he'd won the ABA, represented England a few times. Mm. I'd just got to semis of the ABA, but won a gold medal in a real tough tournament, three fights. I'm going to save. Probably Lenny Dawes deserved it, if I'm honest, the shot of going to come off game. But because of Tony Burns' influence in the England team, because he's well-respected, he, I think, I am not, can't be sure, but I think he helped me get the nod for the come off games. Again, that was mm. amazing. So I've gone from getting a sort of a sports grant from Sport England, like 100 quid here and there. It was sort of very vague. There was nothing set in stone, but I used to get little bits of money, buy a bit of kit. And then selected for the Commonwealth Games, you know, major, major tournament, home games as well, to them, the England team sitting us down and saying, look, everyone who's been selected will be put on, I think it was like Category C funding. So right. everyone gets £750 a month. That's a lot of money. Um, I'm 18 years old, wow. getting 750, doing what I love. And it wasn't the same as it is now. I might get a letter now and say, come to Crystal Palace, you've got to do a training camp, blah, blah, blah. So they said to us, look, you're all on this money, 750 quid a month. The build-up to the Commonwealth Games, really, they was on it. They sent us to Austria. Then we went to Peter Lee up north. Then we had a camp in Manchester, London, the Games. Wow. So it was full on. It was full on. But they said, look, there's your money. If you don't win a medal, we'll reevaluate your funding. If you win a medal, you'll stay on that category C or whatever it was. If you win a gold, you'll go up one. So two weeks later, you are sat on the bench. I want you to picture this in your head. So you've beaten Paul McCloskey by this point. Yeah. Three other fighters, three African oh, fighters. Yeah, so, no, so I had, it was Paul McCluskey, a guy from Jamaica, a Ghanaian. A Ghanaian, yeah. Ugandan. Well, what happened was... Just quickly, I was in the semi-finals supposed to fight a Nigerian. Did you have a walkover? Yeah, I had a walkover to the final. He oh, broke his leg mate. in a Commonwealth village playing yes. football. So I've gone to the weigh-in uh, for my semi-final bout, and they've gone, I think you've got a walkover. I'm like, what? What did you feel? Buzzing. <laughs> I've gone from a bronze to silver yeah. without having to fight. I didn't care. I you know, I wasn't bothered. I'm not going to lie and say, yeah, I wanted to win that. Yeah, yeah, no. Didn't care. Well, it's gr- it's a gruelling, like five fights Yeah, in you know, having days. to maintain that weight mm. for so long in a village, Commonwealth Village, where there's food on tap. So essentially, and you know you've got two more days, or a day yeah. extra rest So you as can't well. really celebrate a victory. So did you watch your uh, opponent's bout? Did you go yeah. and watch that? In well, the there's, one I, there's one I watched. I watched, um, after Paul McCluskey, I didn't watch the Jamaican. Jamaican one beat him. Then, as I beat the Jamaican, I got out and watched the Ghanaian fight a guy from New Zealand. He knocked this Kiwi spark out. Yeah. Let me tell you now, it was one of the worst knockouts I've ever seen, and I knew I had to fight him next. Beat him, though, quite handily, if I'm honest, quite convincingly. So I'm guaranteed a bronze. Walk over final against the Ugandan. He was the flag bearer for the whole nation. So you're sat there. Talk me through the hour before that fight who's in your changing room what are you feeling I remember getting to the venue right the what they what's it called now but it was the MEN used yeah. to be called the, Manchester Arena Manchester Arena yeah, yeah. so it's the MEN and I remember getting there saying hello to my family mixed emotions really sort of content in some ways like worst case scenario I've got a silver medal whereas I wasn't touted to do anything in this competition you know I was a, the real wild card so I've got a silver worst case buzzing but being super competitive, that close. So I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm I'm how I would I wasn't over nervous. I wasn't, you know, 
you know, same as, I guess. Same yeah, as, quite yeah. relaxed. By this point, I've had six fights for England, you know, gaining a lot of experience, doing all right. But I remember Tony Burns coming up to me in, in the sort of foyer area or one of the corridors in the main arena. Barker, he's always never called me Darren in his whole life. Barker, walks over and goes, I've just had Harry Lawson on the phone. Harry Lawson was a former fighter for Repton who'd represented uh, England, a very good fighter, got to final of the Commonwealth Games and lost. And t- whether Tony Burns did or not, I don't know. But this is where he was so magical and special at what he'd done. He went, I just got off the phone to Harry Lawson. He's just said, tell Darren to give it everything in the ring. Leave it all in there because it still hurts me to this day that I didn't win the gold medal mm. to make sure Barker doesn't have them same regrets. And it was powerful. And he went look, over to you now, basically. And it was powerful. And I remember thinking, right, I want to give this everything. You know, I don't want them regrets in, in 20 years' time myself. I remember going back to change room. And do you know what? I, I used to always get nervous, but no more than usual until they take you out of this little pen. Honestly, it's like a little pen. You must have seen that yeah, in these yeah, amateurs. Yeah. Like, but they keep the boxes. You don't have much, no, no, no luxury of space. No, no. Taken out and a big tent. Uh, big, sorry, big curtain. Gone like that, and I've seen a banged out, pretty much, other than this one section, banged out MEM Stadium. There'd been a few attempts at the final and a few silver medals for England that hadn't won. So I've come out, and I'm like, honestly, I'm bricking it. What could you hear? Just, like, it was no chance of my name, because no one, you know, it, it, I guess in the pros, you build a profile, don't you? Yeah. Everyone gets to know you. In the amateurs, they're celebrating. or It's England that they're, exactly. they're supporting. Yeah. They're supporting England. So yeah. I am essentially the flag on the St. Yeah. George's flag. I'm England. Yeah, yeah. And it was just a roar. I didn't care, you know, who I was. But the support was incredible. You know, it was, it was amazing. I got in the, in, in the fight. And it was, to be honest, a trickier fight than I expected. And <clears> I won by, I don't know, whatever it was, two, three, four points. I think it was one... 16, 171, mm. or something like that. But I'd, I'd won the gold. I remember collapsing to my knees and going out, going on the podium and holding the flowers. Crazy. All things that you've seen on telly. Mm. It wasn't the Olympics, but you've seen all of these games. You know, I grew up watching athletics with my mum and dad. Well, my mum loved it. And I see her in the crowd. she come right up to the front. Or she'd come up to the podium and she was crying her eyes out. And there's a I'm proper biting my, you know, biting my lip because I nearly went, you know, all I ever wanted to do was make my family proud. And I wanted to see my mum was so proud of me. Yeah, like there, right there, dream come true. Like, could have jacked it in for sure after that. But at the same time, that's one of those milestones that surely gives you a huge amount of self-belief as to where your potential is. Yeah, it was a a weird, it was a weird sort of time before I'm honest, mate, because at this point, I'm 19, slowly becoming a man. You know, I was, like I say, I was really immature, physically as growing up getting to that age where a lot of fighters start jacking it in Mm. meeting women blah 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 and and i guess i did it was a bit like that you know i started going out and meeting women and blah 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 and it was a funny stage in my life and you got to remember i was so amazed at what i'd been able to achieve you know like i was Again, content for a while. Mm. I remember going to Magaluf and, you know, people in Magaluf recognising me. It was crazy. Because yeah, the, B- the BBC broadcast the yeah, Commonwealth Games, the Olympics. And... Yeah, so I was in the studio with Sue Barker and, you yeah. know, it was nuts. So people recognising me in Magaluf, you know, it was crazy. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll have this. This is do me. <laughs> yeah. But again, as it happened plenty of times in my career, avoid kicking him. You know, there's something missing here. And 
ended up representing England again. I thought Timothy Bradley at the Hilton, uh, lost some points, just wasn't bothered, weren't interested at the time. Just I had to take the fight to keep my funding. He beat me and then just started plodding along and travelling the world as a uh, fighter representing England. It was brilliant. You know, I didn't have no club bouts, no competitions. I literally just was flying around the country. Mm. You know, I went Greece, I say Hungary, I went Poland, I went Bangkok, the 2003 World Championships. Honestly, the list goes on. I was mm. in America. I was just all over the place, like, travelling the world. If you, because you didn't get the nod against Berto at the Worlds. No. And I know, he never mentions it, by the way. Yeah. But like, I know that's something that you always yeah. look back on and think that could have been a little bit different because yeah. if you'd have got a medal there, do you think you may have stayed on one more year and tried to go to the Olympics? Well, I did a try. I did try. But what happened was I lost a bow. Um, <laughs> I lost a bow. Where I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm, I like to think I'm, I'm honest. And the, yeah, the fights I've had lost, uh, you know, I put my hands up. But that one, I, I was convinced I won. Though it was out of my hands, the thing I look back on in the amateurs with a little bit of regret, I wish I won an ABA title and yep. I wish I'd won that bronze at the world. I would have got beaten in the next five. It was against a Cuban, but still. It was medal. unbelievable. Uh, Ar- Aragon. Yeah. 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 He went on to win it. Yeah, he went on yeah. to win it. So it was gutted that I didn't get to share the ring with a Cuban, which mm. I never got to do in the amateurs, mm. which is surprising, really. Yeah. But yeah, I'd like to have, uh, have won that. But then what followed after was um, 2004 Olympics. So the qualifiers come up. Again, I was so gutted that I didn't get that that bronze and still growing up, still sort of that transition from boy to man and wasn't that bothered. Certainly weren't bothered about losing the weight. So I won the Commonwealth Games at 63 and a half, the old yeah. 63 and a half kilograms. Then the World Championships was 69, middleweight was 75. And do you know what? I was probably walking around at 72, could have easily got down to 69, but just didn't yeah. didn't attempt it. Just wasn't bothered. Probably a little vain. Didn't want, I hated the way I looked when I was down at the weight and just... Just for sod this, I want to compete at middleweight. I'd sp- Tony had spoken to some of the trainers and they said, look, if he's going to have to be middleweight, we'll still select him. So I went to the first qualifier, which is the European Championships in Croatia. I beat an Italian in my first fight at middleweight quite comfortably. Then come up against Andy Lee, who yes. is a massive middleweight. And Were you teammates at Repton at that point? A uh, bit of a crossover. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he just, again, similar to Dave Allen and David, huge David Pride, yeah. just... I just couldn't get near him. No. You know, I was trying to be the aggressor and he boxed to a plan and beat me easy, to be fair. And ultimately went to the, the Olympics. I had one more attempt. I went to, got to go Sweden, where my last ever amateur fights were. Lost in my first fight to Carol Bowsey or Ballsey or something like that. I ended up winning the WBO Super Middleweight World title. He beat me right. and in my last ever amateur fight. And... Yeah, I was outclassed on the outclass rules. So do you remember it? If it was if the button was pressed, if you went more than fifteen points behind your opponent, they would ring the bell. Oh yeah, and I got stopped. I was gutted. Right. I didn't get beat up, but I was just you know just he, was just, he was just too big for me, and he just you know I could, and that was it. My mm. amateur stage were over. I remember having a cry in the changing room after because I knew that was it. Not that I, you know I was gutted that I could. I could never say I was an Olympian because I've been to all the three major tournaments, European Commonwealth uh, Worlds, didn't mm. get to go to the Olympics, very close to doing so. And thinking, that's it, my amateur days are over. Mm. And uh, there was only one, I remember my, <laughs> I remember there was rumours of me turning pro, nothing set in stone, never had any meetings, just spoke to Tony Sims, who I'd been talking to a year before. Went to the cash point to get some money out 
expecting my Sport England money to come in one last time and it didn't. I was gutted, you know, right relying on that money. It didn't come in. Need that 750 quid. It were, it got up to 1,281 quid. Mm. Yeah, so I was getting 1,281 oh, quid nice. for winning that gold medal in the Commonwealth. So I was getting that for like two years. Yeah. Two years of getting 1,281 There's quid. Suddenly that void, you're like, well, I've got to find some way of earning Yeah, hence, fast forward to painting and decorating with my dad. Yeah, and then <laughs> it all began. Yeah. We're going to have to do... Part two of your your pro career. My, my producer size just said definitely because I'm so engrossed. I think we've probably done like what forty minutes or something. Yeah. And Sorry, I talk too much. No, you don't. It's, it's about myself. But I wanted to. <laughs> I, think I wanted to do something. That you was said about you did the, say yeah, yeah. Like I didn't because the thing is, your story is you know people want to hear about the the Martinez fight, the Gill fight. They want to talk about what happened with with Gary. And I feel like the problem is is that when you do that too many times, it almost becomes rehearsed. And I kind of wanted to sit down and talk to you about stuff that you don't necessarily... I don't think I've ever spoke to in this sort of depth about the foundations of my career, and that is amateur boxing. Yeah. We've seen it, new, you know, a number, hundreds, thousands of times. That pedigree catapults you, and it helps you so much. Yeah. And it's huge foundations. Like, like Without that pedigree and those experiences in the amateurs, which I've just spoke about... I wouldn't have gone on to do what I did in the pros. Because you only need to look at the, the correlation. You, you look at the list of ABA champions in every weight and you go, you pick a weight and you scroll back 50 years. Even as a kind of, someone who doesn't follow the sport, you'll go, God, I recognise so many names. Yeah. And that's because those foundations are so key. Exactly. We, we see it even today. So we will do part two. One last question for you before we do our 32 second challenge. Do you ever think about, with Gary, do you ever sort of look back on his life and think, I wonder what he would have gone on to achieve. And do you ever kind of imagine the route he would have taken and, and where he would be today? Yeah, I do. And if I'm dead enough, I feel myself welling up a little bit because that is what hurts me the most. Yeah. Not knowing what he would have done or where he would have gone to or what he would have achieved. Um, we always talk about what he'd done. And when I think about where he'd have gone and the, the you know, for me... Life's been so good. I've got to travel the world. I've got to meet so many amazing people. I've got to experience so many great things that people in our position, you know, I'm so fortunate to have been able to do so. And again, I pinch myself and count my blessings, but he never got the opportunity. And that hurts, you know, not even just the boxing, not him as a boxer, just him as a man. Um, That hurts me. That hurts the most when I think about that is what he's not been able to do in a lifetime, let alone, you know, he's... 19 years, just well, he's not been able to do, have a family, you know, that just yeah. breaks my heart and it always will do to the day I die, but um, got to crack on. You've got to crack on and, and I know that you, you've done everything that you've done with with him in your heart and you've, yeah. you've done so much with him in your in your mind and you Absolutely. know that everything you've done is shared success with him and, you know, if he's watching, yeah. he'd be very proud of you, mate. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks. You know, that's what I've, uh, like I say, genuinely, it's not to drum up some some sort of story everything was dedicated to him and if we do do part two I'll talk more about the when I drop down to my knees and cry my eyes out after the guild fight because they're sad tears if I'm honest mm. to start with because I was letting go of my brother mm. you know I'd achieved you know what I what we'd set out to do yeah well mate part one we have to do part two don't we now you can't leave people we can't leave people on that cliffhanger <laughs> yeah so okay we'll do part go two go on then. what's these questions mate so this is the 32-second challenge with 32 reds. bit of word association. I'm just going to read you a list of words, and I want you to say in the shortest possible right. way the first right. thing that comes into your head. Okay, so this is a 32-second challenge with 32 reds. 
with Darren Barker. Finchley ABC. Learning Curve. John Oliver. Boxing Man. Commonwealth Games. Dream Come True. Favourite fighter growing up. Mike Tyson. Winning the British title. Wow. Boardwalk Hall. Scary. Hips. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> the Daniel Gill body shot. Ouch times two. Repton. University. Commonwealth Games gold medal. Epic. Athens Olympic Games. Gutted. Family. The best. Retirement. Content. And Gary Barker. Devastated. Darren Barker, absolute pleasure, Cheers, mate. Cheers, old mate. Absolute pleasure, Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Well, I can't tell you what pleasure it's been, mate. It's been lovely. Um, and we look forward to having you again. And obviously, Carl will be here next time. So we'll be able to kind of compare careers and talk about all the journeys. You yeah, guys nice one. Pro, and if you so. can hear any racket in the background, there's my two kids in there <laughs> smashing the place to pieces. Daddy daycare, summer holidays have begun. But outside, you said they've been unbelievably well behaved. So, <laughs> nice one. Yeah, no, they're just angling for some sweets, mate. That's what it is. Um, Darren Barker, thank you Cheers, very much. Mate. Thank you at home for watching. What a fantastic episode uh, with my old mate Darren Barker. You can catch us again in seven days' time and all the build up to Carl Frampton's fight on August the 10th in Philadelphia. This has been round 25 of TKO Done and Dusted. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red.